Hello and welcome to Great Ridge Station, a place to sit back and relax while waiting for your train to board. I'm your host, Sam Helgerson, and I'm pretty much a fixture around these parts. The goal here at the depot is to help you strengthen your own practice of leadership, no matter where you serve. Every episode will give you not only the background theory, but some practical tools that you can use right away. Great Ridge Station is a service of Great Ridge Group, LLC. Thanks for stopping in on your way through. Season 1, Episode 5. I got talking to a friend of mine a few weeks ago, and it turns out that he and I share some common heritage. Our families are both from the same vicinity of Norway, very close to the same town. And he said, you know, it's cloudy and rainy there 247 days a year. Okay, he doesn't have that accent. I took the liberty of adding it for effect. But the folks who know me well will appreciate this fact. Uh, See, I'm no fair-weather friend. My happiest days are those that uh, are cloudy, dreary, and, frankly, for most people, miserable. Apparently, my family, close to the Arctic Circle and dark for five months of the year, rainy and gloomy to boot. Apparently, we're not a cheerful lot, and I'd like to say I come by it honestly. So you'll excuse this not-so-cheerful episode, uh, right? Have you ever heard of a red shirt? It's a television term that goes back to the original Star Trek series. In the opening scene, you generally have the bridge and the familiar crew members. Uh, For my generation, it's the television equivalent of comfort food. But often, there would be someone new there. Someone not mentioned in the opening credits. Someone you do not recognize. Someone, you guessed it, wearing a red shirt. And we all knew that this person would probably not survive until the first commercial break. That practice was so common in those Star Trek episodes that red shirt became an industry term for an expendable character whose demise moved the plot forward. Well, leaders, I have bad news for you. You're wearing a red shirt. Uh, Yes, I admit this is not the most pleasant idea to consider, but don't blame me. Blame Adam and Eve. See, it's my job to help you embrace your own red-shirtedness and in a healthy, positive way. See, I want you to understand, this is not my geezer factor talking. This is an ethos that I took on very early in my career. I had the good fortune of having a handful of mentors who knew that they were wearing red shirts, and it became the source of their superpowers. Now, I did have a couple of bad examples who did everything to avoid their own red shirt status, and things didn't always end well for them. While I'd love to tell those stories, they're not mine to tell, and I really want to be respectful. So let's talk about why a red shirt attitude can be so helpful. See, I've been troubled at how much of our leadership development efforts focus on making people irreplaceable. Develop new skills, keep those skills sharp, make an effort to do good work, learn how to lead in a collaborative environment, be an effective global cross-cultural leader. Now, those are all good things, but by themselves, they fail to take into consideration the uncomfortable fact that ultimately, the mortality rate is 100%. As I've looked at adult education opportunities for undergraduate and graduate academic programs in leadership, I've been surprised at how few of them address the idea of passing that leadership baton. 
See, I'm a bit biased, but I think the institution where I serve, Bethel University in St. Paul, Minnesota, seems to get this right. But it also seems that we're kind of the exception to the rule. Part of my job is to pay attention to what's happening in leadership development circles, and one of the things that has surprised me is there's little mention of passing the baton to the next generation of leaders. And as a leadership geek, this is one of the things that I hammer on all the time. So years ago, I was a total audio tweak. I loved that whole process of selecting audio gear that worked well together, fiddling around with it until I got the best possible sound. I was really a purist. For me, the problem was, and is, that I have wide-ranging, eclectic tastes in music. See, in those days, I'd be as likely to listen to indie artists, jazz, classical, folk, rock, folk rock, and obscure international music. The record shop I frequented, <laughs> yeah, there's a term that's gone away. The record shop I frequented had to special order a lot of my music library because there were so many things that I liked that it didn't pay for them to stock. The fun of being an audio guy in those days was in designing a system that could handle all of that and still sound good. I loved a lot of brands. I loved Luxman, NAD, Denon, the best speakers I've ever heard from ADS, and, of course, Nakamichi. Living in that world, one of the unforgettable names was Nakamichi. I was at a trade show years ago when Mr. Nakamichi was there. In the industry, he was never referred to any other way than Mr. Nakamichi. Nakamichi, the company, not the mister, put out incredibly high-quality products. They were legendary for their sound quality and uncompromising approach to excellence. Let me give you a for instance. They sold a $6,000 cassette deck. And they could, because, well, they were Nakamichi. It wasn't the move to digital media that ended Nakamichi's reign in the high-end audio field. It was the death of Mr. Nakamichi. I had a few good friends in the industry, and more than one of them pointed out that Mr. Nakamichi had no successor. He was, in his own way, a quality-obsessed madman. And I mean that in a good way. He was to audio what Ettore Bugatti was to cars, committed to perfection in every aspect. And Mr. Nakamichi's passing left a gap that could not easily be filled. In fairness... The Nakamichi Corporation has made a successful revival over the past few years. I have no way of knowing this, but I suspect that if Mr. Nakamichi had taken the time to groom and prepare his successor, the company would not have fallen into relative obscurity for so long. While I have great respect for Mr. Nakamichi and the company he led, his problem was that he did not know he was wearing a red shirt. There are reasons for that, and we can't blame him. It's easy to look back and say, what if? So I cast no blame at all. But we can learn from that situation. The problem with making yourself irreplaceable is if you succeed, you are. Again, the problem with making yourself irreplaceable is that if you succeed, you are. And who suffers? Well, good-hearted geeks like me, that's who. <laughs> See, what we as leaders need to get over is this cultural bias toward going out on top. 
There is such a thing as Swedish death cleaning, which sounds like what happens to Swedish death metal bands when they retire, but that's neither here nor there. The idea behind Swedish death cleaning is that when you hit 70 years old, you start winnowing down your possessions. Everything with sentimental value gets given to those who would inherit it. Old goods get given to charity if they're in usable shape, and if not, they're recycled or disposed of. The idea is that by the time you pass on, you own about 250 items that are of practical, everyday use to you. This tradition grew out of a desire to not be a nuisance or a bother to one's heirs. But I also think it grew out of the recognition that, uh, oh, carp, I'm wearing a red shirt. And that's the point. My red shirt mentors taught me to lead toward the day when I'm not there. A few years ago, just before my move into academia, I served as the executive director for a Christian ministry organization that serves students at the University of Minnesota. I enjoyed my work there. I got to work with a committed team of individuals. I loved the work, I loved the people, and I loved the students that we served. Now, as soon as I had settled in and figured out what it was that I was supposed to be doing, uh, you know, we all have that phase in every job, once I had that sorted out, I started working to develop the people around me. By the time I was two years into my role, I was well on the way to grooming someone to fill my shoes. See, this was during the economic recession earlier in this millennium, and it was clear to me that I was an expense that the organization could do without. So I began to plan a good exit. I recognized that I was wearing the red shirt. I made sure that I had someone I could take to the board and recommend for the executive director role. The two of us put a lot of effort into getting ready to pass the baton. And when I left, I'm happy to say I left them in a good place with a new director ready to step in and lead them to the next level. I take no credit for the good things that have happened since my departure, but sometimes we get called into situations where we serve for a specific time frame. Noticing that we're wearing the red shirt can help us respond well, to that kind of calling. Now, lest you forget what a total geek I am, my favorite philosopher made the observation, and I paraphrase, the only way that a person's impact can outlive them is by them being part of an organization that will outlive them. End paraphrase. <laughs> See, take that very seriously. If you want sustainability beyond the current generation, you need to be thinking about your own red shirt, your own succession plan. So let me ask you this. Who's your next? It doesn't matter what level you're at, what job you're doing, or whether you think of yourself as a leader at all. Who is your next? If you happen to work at the local dairy royalty place whooping up snowstorm-branded delicacies, at a marketing agency, at an engineering firm, doing day-to-day -day landscaping work in a two-person company, no matter what, this applies to you. So let me explain. Noel Tishy is the author of some significant leadership texts. One of my favorite is The Leadership Cycle and The Leadership Engine. And Tishy's work can be really helpful to us in this regard. He states that a thriving organization needs leaders at every level because leaders at every level can move to the next level with little problem. See, share what you know and prepare someone to really thrive. 
See, remember this. I mentioned this early on. Leaders are judged by how they lift others up. Followers are judged by how well they perform as individuals. Yes, we all need to be both, but it will help you if you remember that we're all wearing the red shirt. So, what's it going to be? Are you ready to be the kind of leader who creates other leaders and who doesn't leave a gap when it's time to turn in the red shirt? I'll ask you again, who's going to be your next? Who picks up where you leave off? Thanks for joining us at Great Ridge Station. As the train boards and rolls on to its next destination, we hope you found your time here helpful. Consider what you've learned and what strategies and practices you can implement right now. If you have leadership questions that you'd like us to address, we'd love to hear from you, and you can find the questions link on our show page. We can't answer everything, but we'll watch for themes and big-picture questions and get to as many as we can. All content is developed by Dr. Sam Helgerson with appropriate citations of outside sources. Our sound engineer is Brick Martin. All background and bumper media is in the public domain and retrieved from archive.org. The opening music is from Guy Lombardo, Down by the River. The closing music is from Annunzio Montavani, Skyscraper Fantasy. Limited opportunities are available for supporting sponsorships. Contact information is available on our show page. I'm already looking forward to your next visit to Great Ridge Station. Bye-bye.